Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Top Edge. We are back for another week and it has been a, a massive one in cricket. It's, oh, well, the hundreds begun. We also saw that uh, RVCJ Media in India suggested that Pat Cummins was uh, doing something wrong by getting married after he had a baby. That can get right in the fucking bin. Uh, but anyway, Callum is here. Callum, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good. Um, I just had to get that off the top because that that kind of stuff annoys me. Um, Pat Cummins is doing nothing wrong. The only sin that he's committing is those eyes. Anyway, let's move on to the Commonwealth Games. Um, we're For everyone that's listening, we're recording this part on Sunday. Uh, through the magic of editing, we'll have another bit on Monday and that will wrap up the entire games. But uh, have you seen the game so far from day three up until the semis last night? Um. I don't want to say I've been disappointed because it's been interesting to watch, mm. but a lot of the games were not very competitive. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think it's kind of a comment on the development system of some of those other nations. I mean, obviously it's difficult with Barbados because, you know, um, they usually play as the West Indies. So it's hard to know like which players will play from, from where and that sort of thing. But with, um, you expect Pakistan to perform better than they did. You expect Sri Lanka to perform better than they did. And um, South Africa were competitive, but they just didn't quite have the same quality and they were in a pretty tough group. So, yeah, definitely true. I think, yeah, when we spoke about it last week, I was pretty impressed by it. I think what happened there is that we got four good games to start this tournament. You know, Australia, India was nice and close. Uh, England just got past Sri Lanka and then the other two games are pretty good as well. But yeah, it's, um, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's gone downhill, but it's just a little bit less competitive as, as we get through the group stages. The semi-finals last night, though, they were they were absolutely incredible. You know, England just couldn't get past India; needed fourteen in the last over, and, and didn't quite get there. But Australia just just too good, and and I don't know, they look the favourites, don't they? They do, they do. Um, they seem to have the. Uh, I mean, I guess we saw it in game in game one, really, against mm-hmm. India. Is um, they have the mental fortitude to get through um, to get through any uh any difficulties they may face because, you know, you, um, Mooney had a good innings and then when she went down, you got a bit worried, but you know, we, um, steadied the ship as, as the women's team often do. And, um, Harrison Gardner brought us home and, um, yeah, no, it was a really good watch. It was a really competitive game. Yeah. Only three balls like to spare, but you felt that Australia was going to get there the whole time. I think Grace Harris only, only eight from seven balls. I'm sure if she needed to, could have gone a little bit harder at the end there, but, yeah, New Zealand, they kind of proved how much they rely on on like their their top three players, right? Divine once again with a half century. Amelia Kerr, who's you know on the younger side, but has been there uh, for a long time. I think she made a professional debut at 14. So yeah, been around a long time. And and you know, 144 against Australia is just uh, not quite enough. I think um last week we suggested that if Tali McGrath doesn't perform, then uh, maybe Elise Perry should come into the side. I think we can probably probably say we were wrong there, right? It was um, she's done pretty well in the game since. She has, she has, um, she's been really good with the ball. Strangely mm. enough, she's been consistently taking wickets. Probably our most consistent wicket taker. Strangely enough, because you know her as a batsman, <laughs> but um, she obviously had that huge innings 
um you know i think it was game two of the uh the group stages and um she's she's been you know when she's gotten out a few times but she's looked decent um to not go on all that much but that happens sometimes and um as long as you're going about your innings the right way the scores come sooner or later yeah that's right and uh, she's currently fourth on the on the run scoring list. Uh, Smitty Mandana is first. Uh, it was a strike rate of one fifty six. So I think, you know, that's where Australia is going to have to target in that gold medal match uh, that'll be tonight. It's going to be. Uh, is it going to be a repeat of the first one? Do you think, or do you think uh, India will put up a little bit more of a fight and and uh, take the gold? It's hard to say because, like, we know Australian Australian batsmen have you know, great firepower, you know. Um, but what's been a concern through this tournament I found is um, the lack of performances from Healy and Lanning, who you would probably identify going into the tournament and throughout, you know, the recent history of the Australian cricket team, that they're the two most important players. And, um, you know, I think Healy's top score has been like 16 or something like that. Um, Lanning hasn't been too much better. Um, and in like a final, a big stage game like that, you kind of want your leaders to be, to be stepping up. And whereas with, um, India, on the other hand, core has been solid the whole time. Um, you mentioned, um, Mardana has been really, really good. Um, and in the semifinal, uh, Rodriguez stepped up and had a really good score. So they'll be feeling the momentum and, um, they'll be feeling great after getting that narrow win over England. So, um, I think it'll be just as competitive as last time. Yeah, and as you said, uh, Lanning and Healy not doing all that much, uh, averaging 18 and, and 13 respectively. So, yeah, not a lot there. It's it's really been up to McGrath and Harris who, you know, going into the tournament, as good as they are, you wouldn't have expected them to to come out like that and average, what, 50 each at strike rates of over 150. That's, uh, that's just incredible batting. And, you know, with the ball, everyone's been pretty good. So I think that's, you know, that's the kind of the area that Australia has been winning games with just being able to, uh, restrict as much as possible and they'll have to do that against India who are, yeah, as you said, in a really good spot. Rodriguez averaging 113, uh, Mandana 51, as I said, and Shefali Verma uh, only 30, but striking at 140 up the top. So yeah, it'd be really important to, to get those three wickets and, you know, you know, and you never know what happens. It's a final and, you know, we haven't seen a Commonwealth Games final from the women before, so we don't know uh, necessarily how that's going to play. I think we'll leave it there. That was magic of editing. We'll come back tomorrow, do a quick five minutes on the final. So as promised, we are back 24 hours later through the magic of editing to bring you uh, the results of the final. A pretty good game, really. Um, Similar to the first one in that Australia was uh, behind for a lot of the game. You know, they posted 161 for eight, a good score, but, you know, batting first, it didn't look like it was going to be enough, especially when... Uh, Rodriguez and Harmon Preet Kaur came to the crease. They, um, you know, almost took that game away from Australia, didn't they? They did. They did. I mean, it was a really competitive game, which is exactly what we were hoping for um, in the final. And, um, yeah, as you mentioned, Kaur, you know, batted really, really well. And um, it was, a once again, a clutch performance from Ash Gardner that yeah. <laughs> bailed, us, bailed us out, um, this time with the ball. Um, and then obviously that Jess Jonathan final over um, really sealed mm. it for us. So um, good effort from the bowlers, obviously. 
Yeah. Um, I think it was still a pretty good effort to get the total that we got in light of how well India started bowling-wise. Renuka bowled really well. Um, Schnee bowled really well as well. So a little expensive, but they got wickets, and that's kind of you know what you want in a T20 game because it derails momentum quite a bit. But, yep, you know, Ashgard with a good score. Meg Lanning finally made a good score, mm. so that's a relief. It's good yeah, to see. yeah, that's right. Um, it was kind of the opposite of the most of the tournament, wasn't it? McGrath and... You know, uh, Grace Harris didn't really do a lot, you know, two each. And, you know, not a lot with the bowl either from McGrath. was pretty uh, tough performance thing. We'll talk about her a little bit later. Uh, there's a bit else, uh, something else going on there. Um, but Beth Mooney, 61 at the top of the order, just as good as ever. And yeah, as you said, Meg Lanning with 36. So, you know, 161, a little bit of a collapse towards the end there. It would have been nice to see, you know, Grace Harris or uh, Ash Gardner really go on with it and, and put that score closer to 200. But, you know, it wasn't to be. Really good polling at the death from India. And, you know, Australia did the same thing at the death. So it was really, once you get past that top order that we talked about, it was, you know, pretty easy, pretty easy sailing for Australia. Uh, India only needed, uh, what was it, 50 from the last six overs. You'd think, you know, only two down, you'd get that most times. And then it got to 28 from three overs, even then, like they might have been five down, but you think, well, you know, a couple of boundaries here and there and, you, and you're there. And then 11 from the last, could have gone either way, but yeah, as you said, Jess Jonathan clutches ever and, you know, finishing with spin, obviously not uh, a usual tactic, but uh, one that worked really well. Finishing with left arm orthodox though, as we've <laughs> spoken about a few times, you know, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the killer discipline in a T20 and um, you know, it, it panned out again. <laughs> um, yeah. There was also that run out, that important mm. run out from Grace Harris that um, I think really kind of, gave the momentum back to Australia, that yep. sort of kind of, that was the moment in my mind that um, changed the fortune of the game. Yeah, three runouts at the end of the innings, just, you know, criminal stuff from India. You can't be doing that. And that's kind of the difference that you get when you've got players that have played, you know, hundreds of games at professional level in the WBBL. Uh, you know, obviously some of these Indian players have played in WBBL, but not all of them. And I think that's shown. And that's, I think this will kind of kickstart India into a, a WIPL. I think that'll be coming. Uh, hopefully, in the next year, it's you know ten years late at this point. They should have been all over it already. Um, but Alyssa Healy, we suggested, oh, she might do something crazy in the final. That wasn't to be. Uh, she's averaged twelve through the tournament. Bit of pressure on her at the moment in the the T Twenty squad. You know, you got Beth Mooney there who can obviously keep as well. Um, Georgia Redmayne's you know floating around the squad always. Um, do you think there's there's a little bit of pressure on there? There is, there's probably an element of pressure because, you know, you want your opening batsman to order, to, to average rather, um, you know, at least 25 and T20 and that sort of thing. Um, so that's, you know, half that mark, which you'd consider average. Um, but, you know, Healy can be a streaky player with the bat. She is excellent keeping. And we saw a lot of that in the fielding innings. And... Mooney's not a bad keeper, but not the same same level as Healy is. And a big thing, which has often been an issue with Australia, is either picking a good keeper or a good batsman. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Do you pick Tim Payne or do you pick Matthew Wade? Um, that's kind of you know the question that's always been around, and we're just lucky with Gilchrist that we had both. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, the women are going to have the same problem now. I think yeah, Alyssa Healy should be fine. The, I think. T20 is her best format, though. So uh, if she doesn't perform in one-day cricket, I think Mooney could be taking the gloves there as well. Um, Mooney was the highest run score for Australia in the tournament, 179 runs, really good stuff. Average 
just below 50, and then McGrath and Shute, uh, both with eight wickets each. They're the, the leading wicket takers for Australia. There's a couple more, took a few more throughout the tournament for other teams, but um, really good stuff for there. But McGrath, all right, let's get on to that. So uh, an hour before play, we got a, I got an email through at 2, I think it was 2.35 a.m. Tali McGrath's tested positive for COVID, uh, but she's going to play. Do you think this is – what do you think of it? This is the first time we've ever seen this happen. Yeah. Um, it was very strange seeing the medal ceremony <laughs> and seeing everyone, you know, smiles across their faces, real chuffed, all that sort of yeah. thing. And then seeing Talia McGrath there very obviously wearing a face mask. <laughs> and you think it's strange because she very much touched the same ball that everybody else touched mm-hmm. and she very much, you know – played as she usually would play I mean maybe not to the same standard obviously because she was unwell Um, I feel like it sets a bad standard Mm. I mean Talia McGrath is an amazing player you know she was really important throughout the tournament I understand her wanting to get out there and you know play in the gold medal match and you know get get her own gold medal Mm. but you know I feel like when it's a health and safety matter it's something that it shouldn't be up to her. It should be more speak to the Commonwealth Games officials, which obviously they did and they got that through. But in my personal opinion, I think they should have said, no, have have someone else in the squad play. Um, it's a bad precedent to set because, you know, we may hear a few days down the line, oh, people touch the same ball as Talia McGrath. Now they all have COVID and... <laughs> You know, um, since it's been such a big issue and it's why we delayed the Olympics and everything like mm. that, it's it, it leaves kind of a bad taste in the mouth of what was actually a really good game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the email suggested they spoke to the Commonwealth Games officials, they spoke to the ICC and with, you know, Cricket Australia doctors. There was two organisations they left off that list. Firstly, the BCCI. Um, it doesn't look like that was approved through them. Uh, if their players get COVID and... Uh, something terrible happens there. Cricket Australia could be very much liable for whatever happens there. And the other one's the ECB. Um, Tali McGrath is going to be part of the 100. There's a bunch of other players in this team that are meant to be part of the 100. Uh, this is jeopardised, that tournament. If they have, well, I guess there's 22 players here. There's probably other ones they've seen. You know, that could, it could wreck the 100, right? Um, and the last thing you want is, you know, that tournament to fold and then, no one gets to play all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's just um, desperation from Australia. I don't think they would have done this in a group stage game. Obviously, a final is a little bit different. But the idea they couldn't have just brought in Elise Perry, who's just as good a cricketer, probably doesn't have the power. We've gone all through all of that wide McGrath's playing instead. But, yeah, to have to, to risk the competition and to risk cricket going forward like this is uh, not good and I think irresponsible from Australia. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I think it was a bad decision. And um, in hindsight, it didn't play too much of a factor in the game. So, yeah, if anything, it um, advantaged India a little bit for having McGraw out there. Because as we said, she didn't do a lot, to, uh, two for uh, none for 24 with the ball. So, yeah, uh, not great. But, you know, at the end of the day, Australia won. Happy all around. Really good day for Australia. Uh, won the netball as well. Got up to a thousand medals all time. So, really good stuff from Australia. But I think that's where we'll leave it. And we'll move on to our next segment. The 100. So the 100 has been, uh, it began this week. A uh, very good uh, level of cricket, I, I found. Uh, not on the, the easiest times for us to watch. I only managed the one game last night with it starting at 11.30 rather than 3 a.m. But, yeah, um, really good stuff. 
uh, I think it's you know much better than the T20 Blast. I think the ECB's you know nailed what they wanted to and, and got a top tier competition. Uh, anything really stood out to you so far? Um, just how high the scores have been. It's <laughs> it's like they're averaging you know score wise higher than you would in T20s, yep. <laughs> and they have twenty less balls to do it. I think the the idea of the hundred balls has kind of made the batsman feel like okay, we're not really restricting at all. Mm. We're kind of just letting it go, and um, yeah, the conditions have been pretty good in England and conducive to good batting, so that's been that's been nice. And um, you know, I, I've I've enjoyed in the bits that I've seen, I've enjoyed the different kind of tactics the teams are taking to try and take wickets or, um, you know, impact the game. Yeah, I think, you know, 20 less balls, it allows the batters to do uh, a little bit more attacking. And, you know, in England, the pitches are, are pretty good anyway. Uh, it's been a very dry summer so far, so the pitches aren't uh, doing all that much for the seamers. I saw yesterday's game and it was actually keeping low to the spinners. It looked like a, a pitch out of India rather than um, something something you'd like a green seamer you'd traditionally associate with England. But yeah, really good stuff. James Vince, 71 in the opening match. He was kind of the highlight there. I think uh, a wild card for an England call-up, I reckon. He'll be um, he'll be back at some point. Owen Morgan, recently retired in international cricket, 47 from 29 for the London Spirit. Really good stuff from him. Glenn Maxwell also playing that team. Just the 18 from him, though. Uh, a surprising one for me, though, Hilton Cartwright. I was, like, I was even surprised to see that he's in this team. He's kind of fallen off a cliff since he made that test debut. Uh, quite a few years ago. He made 42 from 23. Um, Joss Butler is not keeping. That was the that was a very odd one for me. They've got Phil Salt with the gloves instead. I, I don't know what that's about. Maybe he's just a better uh, outfielder. I think it's, um, yeah, a little bit weird that the England keeper wouldn't be keeping uh, for his, you know, for his domestic side. It's kind of like what we saw with Matt Wade. Um, not keeping for the hurricane, Hurricanes. Um, Ashton Turner played last night. He batted at seven for some reason. Daniel Sams, uh, three for 24. So the Australians doing doing really well. Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, there's a good contingent of Australians on most of the teams. Um, I think there's only one team where an, Australia wasn't, when an Australian wasn't featured. Um, and, you know, you've got a good mix of um, experienced players. And um, I suppose you'd consider Carthright still technically a bit of an up-and-comer. So, um, you know, it's good to see him perform. He's always been a, you know, really powerful strike of the ball. Even in his test debut where he, you know, hardly really did anything, he hit the ball really hard. <laughs> and, um, you know, it gives him potential as a, as a limited overs option. Um, he, he rolls the arm over for the occasional bit of medium pace, which um, can sometimes sometimes destabilize some batsmen. Yeah. So, you know, um, I think if Carthright has a good tournament, then maybe maybe see how he goes in the big bash and see see maybe bringing them back into a limited overs team. Yeah, I think I think that's a good call. He, he had a good big bash last year with, uh, you know, Maxwell at the at the stars there. I think, you know, Hilton Cartwright is kind of a, a like-for-like for like replacement with Stoinis. I think they're kind of, you know, both big hitting all-rounders and, you know, all-rounders is a bit of a stretch. They kind of just roll the arm over at 115. But, you know, that's enough if you get a couple of overs out of it. Um, the thing that stood out for me, though, I think it was the first match. Um, obviously, Shane Warren was meant to be a big part of the 100, right? He was going to coach uh, that London team. And they had an interview with, with Darren Berry, obviously one of um, Warren's closest friends. And he was saying that uh, he didn't really want to come over the 100. It doesn't really appeal to him. But he made a promise to Shane Warren uh, that he would go, and that's what he's doing, and he's, he's there coaching. Um, Andrew Simons was also meant to be working with that team. So, uh, yeah, kind of 
it was a, a very good interview and, uh, you know, really opened by Darren Berry to, to suggest that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's obviously quite a confronting thing for him to talk about. You know, two yeah. of his closest friends both passed away in pretty quick succession, which was rough. And, um, you know, obviously they were they were good mates. They, um, you know, probably thought similarly about the game. Um, you know, the, uh, the London spirit was um, kind of Warren's big brainchild, you know, him going over, bringing Barry over, bringing Simons over and having all those high profile retired Australians um, coaching that, that team and that new format and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's unfortunate and um, obviously has a profound impact on Barry, but, you know, good on him for uh, keeping on going. And, um, you know, I feel it's a, it's a good way to honor um, yeah. Shane Warren and Andrew Simons. Definitely. Um, yeah, uh, just a, a really good interview and, and good work from Sky once again, who I think are doing um, cricket coverage the best in the world at the moment. Uh, what do you think of the 100 overall, though, like the format? Do you think they should just have a T20 comp instead or or what's your opinion on just 100 ball cricket? Look, right now I'm all for it because it's, it's, it's honestly been more compelling to watch than yeah. a lot of T20 competitions. So, you know, if this is the way forward, you know, if it gets more eyes on the game and that sort of thing, then I'm happy to see more of it. Um, obviously, it's still pretty early in the tournament, so we want to see how it goes along more. Um, when the pitch is difficult, as you mentioned, that last game, um, rather dramatically low scores compared to the, to the other ones. So, you know, a big thing about limited overs cricket is the amount of runs scored. And so to preserve that entertainment value, I guess part of it's up to the groundsman and part of it's up to the players as to how they perform and uh, how they deliver the product on the field. Yeah, 100% right. I think, yeah, so far it's it's all been really good. Obviously the, the county system is a bit of an issue in the UK with, you know, just having 18 teams and that's just impossible to have a, have a like a, a format around where you can play games on TV every day. Um, it's, you know, you'd be playing for six months just to get that in. So, yeah, I'm all for the format. I think eight teams is perfect. The quality is really good. You know, they have Joe Root out there. They've got, uh, well, Ben Stokes isn't playing, but they've got, you know, all these big names out there and they're, you know, they're showing these uh, younger kids in England who can watch this on free to air now or on TikTok, as we suggested last week. Um, they can, you know, they can see their heroes playing. And I think that's the most important part. Um, I was talking about Sky's coverage. What do you think about the graphics? So they kind of got, you know, the two bars down the side. Uh, I thought it looked a bit like a Twitch stream. What do you reckon? It does have a similar feel to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got the purple going on as well, which is a similar aesthetic. I mean, obviously different streamers have different graphics, but anyways. Um, look, I think they're trying to be sleek and contemporary and, you know, hip. Um, but, you know, people haven't used the word hip in many years, so I suppose that's kind of part of the issue. Um, but, you know, I, I like the idea that they're trying something different. They just need to probably change the colour scheme a bit, maybe tone it down a little bit. Yeah, I, I like, you know, the, the runs go up on the side. You can see all that stuff. I think that's just a, there's some information missing on the on the board, and it does take up a lot of the screen. You know, they've got the whole bottom segment, and then you've got two up the side. It's, yeah, it's a lot. But, hey, if the kids like it, that's what it's there for. But, yeah, 100 has been really good so far. But we'll move on a little bit closer to home with the Big Bash shenanigans of the week. So this week it's uh, it's come out that David Warner will not go to the UAE. He'll be staying in Australia and he'll be on a big contract with the Thunder, uh, about 360000 Aussie dollars. So, you know, 
not a bad uh, not a bad paycheck for six weeks. I wouldn't say no. Uh, it's just good that he's here, though, right? It's um, you know, it's better than having him over in the the UAE plane at midnight where we can't watch it. I'd say it's bittersweet. Um, <laughs> you know, having high profile Australian players play in Australia, obviously we want that. That's really good. Um, David Warner's been around for a very long time. Yeah. David Warner hasn't played much Big Bash. Um, have we missed him? I'd say no. Mm. However, you know, they've they've thrown this big pile of money at him and they obviously, you know, want him to have an impact on the team in regards to um, a winning culture and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's 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 good in the sense of it's good to attract big players. It's um, good in this quote-unquote competition with the South African and uh, UAE tournaments. But I don't think it was necessarily needed. I think that money could have been spent elsewhere. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And um, hopefully he just smashes it all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that would be good. I hope that's the case. But, yeah, as you said, we haven't seen David Warner the Big Bash for, I don't know, almost a decade now, right? Not since he kind of burst onto the scene with the Thunder. Um, as you said, we haven't missed him. But, you know, clearly Channel 7 has. They've taken Quick Australia to court because of this kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. I think Channel Seven thinks they're going to get, you know, AFL ratings on the Big Bash. You know, a couple of million a night. I think when you're playing games seven days a week rather than you know three or four, that's just uh, not possible. People aren't sitting down at you know seven thirty to watch a, a T20 game every night. Uh, well, outside of myself, obviously. Um, the salary cap overall is one point nine million for eighteen players, so just over a hundred thousand each. Obviously, some players are on. You know, 20, someone 360, apparently. Um, the David Warner money is going to come from outside of the salary cap, though, so that's not going to affect the Thunder. Do you think this is going to create some kind of dissent with the playing group, or do you think, like, you know, rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing? Do you think they'll be frustrated that some people are getting paid outside of the salary cap? Obviously, not every team's going to get that. You know, there's not a David Warner going to the Scorchers, there's not a David Warner going to the Strikers. It's just the Thunder that are getting this, and then they'll be. You know, Osman Kawaja's paycheck has to come out of uh, the Heat's salary cap. So why does why is that the case, and why does David Warner get this special money for the Thunder? Yeah, I mean, every aspect of your either or question there, I just want to say yes to because <laughs> there's there's um you know there's an element of all of it to it. I think you hit the nail on the head. There's obviously going to be some dissent of some of the some of the younger players, some of the ones who have been toiling in the big bash for years and years, and then all of a sudden Warner comes back over and they're like, oh yep, here's almost half a million. You know, have what a sixth of our salary, <laughs> our supposed yep. salary cap, um, and uh, come play like you know five or six games. <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully he plays more than that, but it's. It's a difficult position to be in, you know. It's, uh, you know, you look at the Thunder, who are quite a promising young team. You know, they had some nice players. Obviously, Daniel Sams played for them, yeah. and um, he's playing in the 100 over now and playing really well, as we mentioned. Um, you know, they got Ollie Davis, who's a promising-looking striker of the ball. Um, maybe some of the spotlight on him or some of the other younger batsmen will be taken away just by virtue of Warner being out there from the very beginning. And they'll expect Warner to play, you know, how all the other high-profile openers in the Big Bash have played before, the Chris Lins and the uh, the Brendan McCollums, the Kawaja even, yeah. um, you know. So it creates pressure. So I think there is an element of pressure on Warner as well because 
he's been given all this money and he's been, you know, brought in as the big key attraction. So there'll be pressure on him to perform. So I guess that's good incentive in a way. And a lot of the players will probably enjoy playing with him just because, you know, he's got a really positive play style, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely all correct. As you said, though, he's going to miss a ton of games, right? He'll be playing the uh, five test matches. That last one finishes, I think, on the 9th of January in Sydney. So, yeah, he'll be there for what is about 20 days. And that's, you know, what is it, five games maybe for the Thunder and a couple more if they make finals. It's really, um, you know, 60 grand a game. I think that money could be, as you said, spent better somewhere else, maybe getting some internationals in that can play the whole whole tournament or getting more money into the to the grassroots or to, you know, into that that first grade level of cricket where we saw so many players come from uh, last year. And, you know, they performed fine. I, I don't think it was a, a massive um, difference in class between those players. Um, you mentioned him, though, Chris Lynn, uh, and the, we'll go on to the Brisbane Premier League. So this is something they're doing in Queensland, just a quick money maker, I guess, for the uh, for the Premier competition over there. They're playing this uh, on KO. Um, just Chris Lynn, firstly, though, he looks like he could either go to the Strikers or go overseas to the UAE. It's uh, do you think it's a bit old that you know we've we've heard so much about Warner, who's not played the Big Bash, but then you've got Chris Lynn, who's been a headline act for ten years in the Big Bash, gone all over the world and shown the world what he can do. And, you know, that kind of money's not being offered to him, even though he could probably go get the same contract in the UAE as Warner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I personally feel quite hard done by on Chris Lynn's behalf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to um, his position, I guess, was more or less kind of usurped. But it makes sense, you know, Kawaj is, a, you know, more or less a national treasure. Um, he's a Queenslander, you know, they'll love having him back and it'll be great to see him playing over there. But unfortunately, it meant that Chris Lynn had to make way. And, um, yeah, then there was talk of him joining the Thunder. That's obviously not happening anymore. Um, and, yeah, I guess if he doesn't play in the Big Bash, there's going to be kind of a big a big hole, a big personality hole, you know. he um, Even when he was injured and not playing all that much, he was very involved in the commentary box or on the sideline. And um, he's a great advocate for cricket, you know. He's um, great at promoting cricket and, um, you know, trying to get the younger kids to play it and that sort of thing. And um, I think he's really going to be missed if he does end up going and playing in the UAE, but I don't blame him if he does. Yeah, certainly. I think, as you say, he's not one of the most skilled players in the world, but definitely one of the uh, most exciting to watch when he's on. And as you said, like, even if he's out on the field, he's talking to the commentators the whole time. He really um, led that heat side in a way uh, that kind of allowed that interaction with the audience, which is you know so important in the BBL where they're trying to get big numbers literally every night. So yeah, if he doesn't, Go to the, it looks like the strikers will get him. Uh, if not that, then he'll go to the UAE. So, yeah, just the one team kind of interested now. I'm surprised that Renegades didn't go after him, but, you know, maybe they've got some secrets going on there. Who knows what goes on with the Renegades. Um, but, yeah, the Brisbane Premier League. So, Nathan Reardon, uh, you know, former professional player, very good hitter, and Chris Lynn, uh, both playing in that competition. They are called uh, the KO calls. So, at the toss, what happens is you can either choose to battle bowl or you could choose to have Chris Lynn or Nathan Reardon play on your side. Um, it's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? Aren't you going to take Chris Lynn, the guy that's still playing? Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was reading that this morning and thinking, you can choose to battle ball or you can choose Chris Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to, you know, Nathan Reardon. You know, he's obviously a good player as well. But I don't see why any of the teams, when they win the toss, wouldn't go, yeah, I'm going to take that guy. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, bowling first isn't that much of an advantage. Having Chris Lynn uh, open the batting for you and facing, you know, the majority of your balls, I think that's a, a pretty good advantage. Um, winning the toss has never been so important. But, yeah, that's kind of a, a couple of weekend competition they're playing in in Brisbane trying to make some cash while the weather's okay up there. Uh, so, you know, cash in while you can, I'm sure. Chris Lynn's making a couple hundred thousand bucks out of this one as well. Yeah, you know, obviously there's um, with a lot of things professional athletes do, there's obviously a, a monetary motivation to it. But I think a big thing with Chris Lynn, as has often been the case since we, you know, met him in BBL1 and that sort of thing, is he's a big advocate for cricket and growing cricket. And I yeah. think with the Brisbane Premier League, he wants to get more eyes on cricket. He wants to get the Queenslanders, you know, interested and um, eager and that sort of thing and go out and go see the game. And, um, you know, it's going to be great for the kids to all, you know, be like, you know, right on the edge of the fence, seeing Chris Lynn out there. And he'll probably be talking to them and signing autographs and that sort of thing. So, you know, I think it's a good thing for cricket. And, um, you know, I think if he's not doing anything and, you know, if everyone's available, then why not have this competition? You know, we talked about year round cricket and this is a, this is a good example of taking advantage of that. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. As you said, Brisbane weather is good most of the year, a little bit of rain around, but yeah, um, really good most of the year. So might as well take advantage of it while you can. Um, the big thing that stood out for me for this, this is they have, you know, age group competitions. They get the best kids from around Queensland and bring them together for this tournament that's, you know, televised, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, really good for for developing and, and perhaps that's where that um, big David Warner, big bash of money should be going. But we will move on to everybody's favourite segment, six or out. Uh, I'll kick it off this week. So if you were Chris Lynn or David Warner, would you go chase the money in the UAE or stay in Australia for the big bash? If I was, I would stay with the big bash because, you know, if I, if I was a former Australian international player, which both of them are, or currently even in Warner's case, I would have that level of national pride of I should probably ought to represent my domestic league. And as such, I would, I would choose to pay in the big bash. But, you know, $300,000 is a lot of money. And if you're, you know, Chris Lynn, um, you know, winding down your career a bit, um, not as in demand as he used to be. If you see that kind of those kind of figures, you go, you know what? That's that's not a bad nest egg to sit on. So I understand both both perspectives. But if it was me, I'd I'd be playing the big bash. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't think you'd want to burn those bridges um, too early with Cricket Australia. You know, these guys could get a uh, a nice little commentary job that'll last them twenty years after they retire as well if they if they don't burn those bridges. So yeah, I, I think you've got to be thinking a little bit longer term. All right. Uh, my first question is, considering how the Commonwealth Games have gone with Alyssa Healy and Meg Lanning, should we be worried or is it just a blip? I think just a blip. Uh, we've seen, you know, Alyssa Healy come back in the final. She's probably going to hit 150 tonight and make us look a little bit silly. So, yeah, I think she'll be, she'll be fine. Uh, Meg Lanning, obviously, T20 is not her preferred format. Much better, you know, one-day player, but... Um, you can't deny the skill of Meg Lanning, that's for sure. Like one of the best players in the world probably doesn't have that, that extra power that Healy does to really, you know, get the ball over the rope. But yeah, um, I wouldn't be worried yet. We'll see how we go in, over the summer. If they're not making runs in the one days and, and the T20s and the test match that we get, then I'll be uh, a little bit more worried. But for now, I'm happy to just coast it out and let, let Tarly McGraw and Grace Harris hit us to victory. Oh, okay. So 
this week I've seen a lot of talk on the internet that Sachin Tendulkar is better than Donald Bradman. Uh, can you just explain why that's bullshit? <laughs> um, just look at Donald Bradman's average and there you go. <laughs> that would be why. Um, no, I'm being facetious. I mean, Sachin Tendulkar was an excellent player. Um, I've actually met Sachin Tendulkar when I lived in um, India and, um, you know, it was kind of it was surreal seeing him because he's like this, you know, cricketing royalty and like a legend. And he was just sort of, you know, standing there waiting to get in somewhere, which was funny. Um, I played cricket with his um, eldest son, actually. Oh, really? um, yep. Yep. He um, he bowls some wrist spin. So you, you'd be you'd be happy, happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was good fun. And um, the thing about Sachin Tendulkar is he's the Indian cricket icon. And since there's a billion people in India versus about 25 million in Australia, there's going to be the argument that he's the greater player. He's probably had the greater impact, but I would not say he's the greater player. Yeah, I agree with, with all of that. I think Bradman is um, obviously, like, I think he's the, the best of his, like, the best athlete of his sport in terms of how much better he was than everyone else that was playing. I think it's, yeah, he's just unbelievable. All right. So my next question is, um, we mentioned the bowling in the com games and um, how it's been pretty consistent. You know, shoot has been taking wickets. Alana King's obviously been great. McGrath's been in the wickets, that sort of thing. Um, Darcy Brown has not been the strike bowler we've wanted her to be. What does she need to work on to be more consistent in regards to the wicket taking? Yeah, I think um, control is the big one, right? Like, she's very quick. That's pretty obvious. She's still growing into the body. She's only, you know, still really young. So it'll, it'll come. Um, I think working with, you know, Megan Shute to, to figure out not just how to swing the ball, but how to get it on that spot. Every ball is uh, massively important. What I think they're doing, obviously, in the Commonwealth Games is just letting her go out there and bowl as fast as she can and try to rip through the top order. Obviously, it hasn't come off, but, you know, we've seen with, you know, genuine fast bowlers in the past, Brett Lee, that kind of thing, that it's not always going to come off. Sometimes you get hit for boundaries. That's going to happen. The quicker it comes, the quicker it goes. So at the end of the day, I think, you know, she'll be fine. She's got plenty of time to work on things. And the luxury is that everyone's, everyone else is bowling so well that we've been able to afford her to be a little bit more expensive and and not really take those wickets. But yeah, I'd be worried into the final. You know, if she doesn't take early wickets, Shafali Verma could, you know, easily get on a roll and, and that could be the end of it for Australia. Uh, my last one, uh, one of the great cricketing debates, who's the best spinner of all time? Shane Warne with 708 test wickets or morally 800 wickets? Um, it's Shane Warne because he bowled straight arm. I'm being facetious <laughs> again. <laughs> um. Look, I think there's there's an added degree of difficulty with leg spin, which makes what Warren did all that more impressive. Um, obviously, Murley took a ton of wickets, and Murley was a very dangerous bowler. But I think the impact Shane Warren had, both culturally and in respect to his decorated career, I think he's a greater spinner overall. Just, I mean, you know, full respect to Matia Mulitar, and he, you know, kind of made Sri Lankan cricket. He, um, you know, took a lot, a lot of wickets all the time and um, almost single-handedly brought Sri Lanka back into various test matches or anything like that. 
So he's a legend in his own right, and he's obviously, you know, in there in that top two. But me personally, maybe it's my Australian slant, but I'd say Shane Warne is that little bit greater. Yeah, I think, you know, Morley took a lot of wickets, uh, not just in Sri Lanka, but in Bangladesh, in Pakistan and in India, where, you know, spinning is obviously easier. So, yeah, much harder for, for Warne to average. I think it was 25 and take 700 wickets on, you know, pitches in Australia and England that don't really, really spin. So, yeah, pretty open and shut case for me. All right. So my last question is kind of a silly one. So with the 100 graphics mm. there, you know, as you mentioned, they're a bit like a Twitch streamer. Should the Big Bash freshen up their graphics? Should we get some purple in there? Yeah, so I think like when the Big Bash launched, they obviously went with, you know, these bright colours to appeal to kids. But then the broadcast is kind of the same as a test match. It's all, you know, black and white and, you know, just just pretty average kind of colours. Uh, yeah, I think obviously graphics play a big part on TV. It, it kind of engages people a little bit more. Uh, people's attention spans, obviously, you know, getting less and less every day with TikTok taking over the world. Um, so maybe, you know, BBL stream on TikTok. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, graphics are the way to go. I don't think the hundred graphics would work because, you know, the hundred balls kind of makes it, you know, the even numbers help, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a freshen up needed from both Fox and I'd say, especially channel seven, um, channel seven, as I said last week, really gone for that analytical market for cricket, you know, that higher brow kind of watcher. And that hasn't really helped with the big bash, I'd suggest. And as the free to air broadcaster, they really should be trying to you know appeal to as many uh, viewers as they can. Uh, South Africa have recently come up against Ireland. South Africa have won both of those games um, pretty comfortably. Uh, you know, Ireland not quite at the level of South Africa, that's for sure. And South Africa, uh, yeah, really good. Obviously didn't have their captain, Tema Bavuma, but I think um, that's kind of been a little bit of an advantage for them, right? Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about playing Ireland, I mean, no disrespect to the Irish team, is you can experiment a bit. And um, the South Africans did, and they did successfully which, um, you know, bodes well for their future series and that sort of thing. Um, I don't think Ireland were, I think they were still competitive. You know, I think they batted well. They made, you know, almost 190 in that first T20. That's pretty impressive. But they just don't have the same quality of bowlers. And that's that was the big difference in that series. Yeah, I think we've seen that um, with all these Ireland series recently. You know, they, when they played India, it was definitely, definitely the bowlers that are, have let them down. Um, bowlers take a little bit longer to work on uh, than batters. And we've seen, you know, really good Irish batters, Owen Morgan, for instance, come up through that Irish system. So, yeah, the batters are definitely there. As you said, the bowlers um, are a little bit worried about their chances in Australia. They won't do all that well in the World Cup. I wouldn't have thought, but, yeah, South Africa's bowlers, really good. Uh, and Geedy, a six-for, uh, pretty rare stuff in, in T20 cricket. And uh, Wayne Parnell with a five-for in the most recent match. Once again, it's that... that that bowling from South Africa is uh, just unbelievable. They seem to have more fast bowlers than, you know, even Australia. Yeah, they have fast bowlers, you know, behind their ears. Yeah. They, you know, every, almost every time South Africa comes over, there's a fast bowler that we haven't heard of that we very much will have heard of by the time they're finished. And, you know, they're, you know, they obviously got a great system down there. They're very good at producing fast bowlers, um, their use of the seam is extraordinary because, you know, bowlers like Parnell and Philander, they're not the quickest and they're not like the biggest either, but they just, they have such great bowling technique that it doesn't matter. And um, 
I found it kind of funny to see Wayne Parnell again, actually, because, you know, it's been a while since he was in the team and taking all those wickets. But, um, you know, it's good to see him and good to see he's still um, in good shape and playing well. Yeah, underrated cricketer, I think, Wayne Parnell. Very good with the bat as well. Um, obviously, went to England like a lot of these South African cricketers do and, and disappeared. Um, what do you think of South Africa's chances for the World Cup? South Africa are always a wild card in the cricket, <laughs> so they could win it all or they could lose in the first knockout round. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a matter of how the uh, the draw comes out and how they perform in the uh, in the group stage because the South African teams have always been a very high-confidence team. So if they win, they win a lot. And if they lose, then they get frustrated. So that's why there's been a lot of turnover in regards to captaincy and that sort of thing and, you know, members of the team. But if they win and they start winning... And, you know, they've won two series in a row now, which is pretty good for them. Then that confidence could take them, you know, sky's the limit, could take them past India, could take them past Australia, could take them past, you know, any of those major nations, England, New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand are obviously in a little bit of a transitional period in their limited overs, but they're obviously still always dangerous. So it should be it should be good to see. Yeah, I think that, you know, outside chance, obviously, um, the pitches would definitely help their bowlers in Australia. That would be uh, very good. And as you mentioned, they won two series in a row. They recently came up against England and kind of, you know, if you get past England at T20 cricket, you're doing pretty well. And they did that um, winning well, two of the matches. England won one. 90 from Johnny Best in that first match. And Moeen, 52 from 18 balls. That was just unbelievable hitting. Um, plenty of sixes. And Geedy again with a fiver. Uh, and Tristan Stubbs, so he's a, another one of these young South Africans. Um, Dewald Brevis kind of lit up the IPL, uh, the last IPL, that is, and and they've got another one here. I think he's about 22, Tristan Stubbs, and he hit 72 from 28 uh, with eight sixes. Almost got South Africa across the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got – they've always had impressive hitting power, and that obviously hasn't changed with the young players. Um, Johnny Bairstow is incredible to watch. You know, I, I don't know why he was out of the test team for so long. I've always liked his game. I've always liked the way he's played. Um, and he's really positive between the wickets, which I think is a really under, underrated thing um, that a lot of those elite players do. They push the envelope when they're running, and that can make a rather dramatic difference. So, you know, you get that from Besto, and that's nice. Um I like Moeen Ali as well. I always have. He's like my guilty pleasure cricketer. Um, you know, he bowls quite average off spin, but he takes a lot of wickets with it, so that's fine. Um, he can really hit the ball. Um, he's a lefty batter, which I um, empathise with because I'm also a lefty batter. So hand is cheating. <laughs> so, you know, um, I think it was a fun series and um, great job by South Africa to win in England. Yeah, definitely. Um, Riley Rousseau hit 96 from 55. He's just come back after uh, a stint in county cricket. Uh, Reza Hendricks was the uh, top scorer, 180 runs uh, with three half centuries, half century in every match, so doing pretty well. And then Shamsi, uh, the number one T20 bowler in the world, uh, finished top wicket taker with eight wickets. So, uh, yeah, pretty dominant performance all round from South Africa. They, you know, dropped one game, but, you know, when Johnny Bairstow's hitting like that and mowing, as you said, 52 from 18, just unbelievable stuff. Um, yeah, it's always going to be hard to beat them then. Uh, the last one to look at, though, is Zimbabwe against Bangladesh. So uh, ODI series over there, Bangladesh is best format. They can't really compete with anyone in any other format, but ODIs, they seem to win every game. 
Uh, Bangladesh posted 303 for two from their 50 over, so you know, good runner ball kind of score, probably good for 2008, but not really going to win your games now. Um, that's Zimbabwe, pretty good, uh, good chase from them 110 to Innocent Kaya and 135 to Sikanda Raza. Uh, got Zimbabwe across the line. This was kind of the surprise of world cricket this week, yeah, yeah, it was. It was, um, quite extraordinary to be honest um you know we were talking about Zimbabwe not long ago and saying you know maybe they don't even have a chance of pushing Australia in any of that series um I think they definitely do now um in light of how well they batted in in Bangladesh no less and uh you know as you said Bangladesh are quite a decorated ODI team I think they are competitive in other formats but they just some of the the physicality of test cricket gets to them so they kind of fall off in the later days and they're working on T20. You know, they don't have a big T20 league like the other nations do. So there's an element of that. But yeah, it was a, you know, it was a really good match and um, congratulations to Zimbabwe. And um, I don't think Bangladesh played badly, at least um, in regards to their batting innings. It's just, you know, it was one of those things where they didn't get enough on the wicket. Yeah, that's it. You know, 303, you'd think would win your most games against Zimbabwe, but, you know, a couple of, I don't want to say out of the ordinary, but a couple of hundreds that you wouldn't expect from Zimbabwe and things get interesting. Um, Hopefully they can do the same against Australia. I really, I would love to see them push Australia and maybe take one of those games. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure that's going to happen, but it'd be really good. And at least they're coming in with some good form uh, into what will kind of be their biggest series of the year you would have thought. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It'll be, um, it'll be great exposure for the Zimbabwe team. Absolutely. So uh, we'll wrap things up for the week. Um, we'll see how Australia goes in that World Cup final tomorrow. Obviously, we'll edit that in. Magic stuff there. Um, Callum, where can people find you on the social medias? Yep, I'm at Callum underscore Logie on Twitter. Perfect. Uh, you can follow The Top Edge on Instagram and Twitter at The Top Edge. Thank you to everyone on Instagram. A couple of things went big last week. Love to see that. Um, you follow Edge of the Crowd pretty much everywhere, TikTok. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I don't know if I find another one, I'll give you that. Um, you can follow all of our work, cricket stuff, politics stuff, uh, culture stuff, other sports stuff at edgeofthecrowd.com. But for this week, we will call stumps on the episode. So, And we will see you uh, next week. <laughs>